0: As an entrepreneur, you shift quite quickly from being the one who does everything to the one who is helping other people do things and make sure that they have what they need to succeed. When you extract too much from your team, when you extract too much from the land, it has long-term downstream implications. I think about us first advancing the holistic health of the people on this planet, as well as the planet itself. We do that by changing the food that people eat.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital.
2: And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly.
1: We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you. And feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast.
2: And today's guest is Caitlin Smith. Caitlin is the founder and CEO of Simple Mills, an awesome food company that focuses on baked goods like crackers, baking mixes, and more. Caitlin previously worked in consulting at Deloitte.
1: Welcome, Caitlin. It is so good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and let's dive in here. I want to kick off by saying I'm a big fan of your company. I probably eat your products several times per day, and they've been really great for our household, which is largely on the paleo diet. So it's great to have you, particularly because of my you know personal interest. but would love for you to explain how you started the business. We mentioned you previously worked at Deloitte. What really inspired you to move from consulting to founding Simple Mills?
0: Absolutely. So I started this company probably about nine years ago now. And at the time, as you mentioned, I was working at Deloitte. I was a, I was a management consultant on the road four days a week. And I, I really wasn't feeling my best. And I was certainly eating a lot of food on the road, eating out at restaurants quite frequently, probably not getting enough sleep. And I wanted to figure out how I could feel better. So I took a look at my diet at the advice of one of my friends. I took out a lot of the processed food and a lot of the sugar and realized what a huge difference that can make and what a huge impact our our diet has on our bodies and our overall well-being. You know, when I was growing up, I was taught that the food affects your, your waistline and diabetes. As I cleaned up my diet, I realized so many other effects it has as well, and wanted to positively impact what people are eating and make it easier and also tastier for people to eat real food. Recognizing we all lead busy lives,
1: absolutely. And you mentioned clean eating, and Simple Mills is often described as a clean food company. What, what does clean food mean, and you know how do your ingredient choices? have an impact and play into the clean food aspect of the business.
2: Doesn't it just mean you don't eat it off the floor?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It does mean that, Uh, (laughs) but, but more so the way that we think about clean eating is really around real food. So as you shared, we make baking mixes, we make crackers, we make cookies out of these simple whole food ingredients, things like Almonds, sunflower seeds, flax seeds. We, in the past year, came out with, with crackers where the number one ingredient is vegetables. So it's sweet potato and parsnip and celery root. And so it's thinking about the The purpose of food and making sure that everything we put in our products is really purposeful and brings vitamins, minerals, protein, things that your body needs to the table, uh, instead of the fillers or or things that we want to be eating less of.
2: In some of your writings and so on, you've you've been open and discussing how you view the difference between management and leadership or what's a good manager and what's a good leader. As you bring this, and I'm just shifting topics here a bit away from the food. I know we'll come back to that. You know, you've grown this company a lot to get from like an idea of clean food to as large of a company as you are. You probably have to be a good manager and a good leader, but how do you see those two things as being different from one another?
0: a great question. One of the big things I've learned in in building this company is just how different the needs are for the company at different stages of the business. And so at times, the company needs you to be a great manager and, and a great executor and making sure that all of the little things are getting done. And at other times, it needs you to be a great leader. So someone who's inspiring, building other leaders in your organization, motivating others, and it really depends based on the size and skill of the business. So today, we're, we're probably around 80 people. And my role today has shifted much more onto the leadership end. And so I focus quite a bit on communicating and making sure that the communication is clear across our team, making sure that we're inspiring and, and motivating people. But in the earlier days of the business, I really was thinking about okay, how do we just get from point A to point B? How do we get this trade show executed? How do we make sure that that we have a manufacturer to make this product? As an entrepreneur, you shift quite quickly from being the one who does everything to the one who is helping other people do things and make sure that they have what they need to succeed.
2: How would your people describe your leadership style? How would your team describe your
0: leadership? I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by a highly qualified, smart, (laughs) experienced leadership team at this stage. And so, and I think that's part of the key to the leadership style that I'm about to outline is hiring people that you trust to make great decisions and to represent the business. Well, once you hire people like that, it's really about getting things out of their way and making sure that they have what they need to succeed. And
2: you've left out the iron fist, I think. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think it's really about getting out of their way and, and making sure that they have what they need to succeed and providing them with vision and direction so that they can run after the goals of the company and where we're going.
2: Yeah, we could talk about leadership all day long. It's one of the topics that I'm most interested in. it's It's also one of the hardest things to get right because especially in a startup where you're as you're mentioning, the objectives are changing from survival to, you know, building and growing and, and establishing yourself. And so the you know, the traits that are required to kind of get people on board and and then later to execute a more complex business plan are quite a lot different from each other. You obviously are good at all those.
1: Absolutely. I would I would also add in, Caitlin, that you know, the social impact side requires its own kind of leadership skills or skills mm-hmm. to lead a socially impactful company. Can you highlight what you view the impact of Simple Mills to be, and then also maybe how that has
0: played into, you know, how you interact with different stakeholders as a leader? For sure. I think about two things when I think about our impact. I think about us first advancing the holistic health of the people on this planet, as well as the planet itself. And we do that by changing the food that people eat. And helping to influence the way that that food is grown. And so I really want us to impact all ends of the food chain. If you think about it, it's it's how the food is growing in the soil, the soil itself positively impact the farmers who are growing the food, as well as what is actually going in people's bodies and how nutritious that is. And that's been something I've been really excited to watch over time that I've led this company and built this company is especially the impact that we've had on the shelves themselves. So when I started this company, the baking mix category, which is where we started, sugar was oftentimes the number one ingredient in those products. And even thinking about that today, nine years later, is kind of crazy to think that that was normal nine years ago. And I tell our team often that we helped change that expectation by starting the conversation about the amount of sugar that's in our, in our food and, and the sources of those sweeteners and the impact that that has on our bodies. I think that's been a really positive impact. And so I still remember the first time we were included in, in Mintel and I thought, this is awesome because not only are we reading this, but Betty Crocker's reading this. And while Betty Crocker is probably not going to come out with an almond flour baking mix, They may think about including less sugar in their baking mixes. And so I think part of our job is to really lift the standards of what people are eating and what they expect from their food. I really believe that a rising tide raises all boats. And the next chapter that I see us embarking on is doing more to advance the way that our food is grown. So our food system and our agriculture system has the opportunity to have a really positive impact on our planetary health, to sequester carbon, to improve the soil health, to improve the health of our farming communities. And we, as a company that procures a lot of ingredients and a lot of crops, has, has the opportunity to shape that. So, actually, over this past year, we've really been working towards this. We partnered with several farmers across the Midwest to use regenerative agriculture principles in their growing techniques and provided them with the financial incentives, with crop purchase guarantees to help de risk some of that transition. And just today, we are coming out with our first organic cracker focused on advancing regenerative agriculture. And by the way, we priced it in line with our other products as well.
2: Give us a sense how big you are as a company. So like, you know, how many stores are you in? And then also if I was going to eat one day's worth of production from your company, how long would it take me to eat it? Approximately. Oh
0: my goodness, that's a great question. question. <laughs> I I have no idea. <laughs> Depends on how fast you can eat and how big your stomach is. You know, like a normal model,
2: like a normal caloric. Forgetting about the nutritional <laughs> and whatever else. I, anyway, some measure of how big you are, just so and, and where and where are you headed in terms of like how big you want to be? I guess that's really where that's kind of leading.
0: Yeah. So currently we're in about 27,000 stores, everything from Walmart, Target, Whole Foods, Costco, Kroger. We're distributed nationwide. We do over a hundred million in sales annually. So we're a decent sized company now. And where we want to go, our plan is to be the next generation food company, to be a food company that does it differently, that puts The health impacts and the planet impacts as a part of its decision-making as we launch products, as we solve our consumers' problems and make it easier for them to eat real food. So I picture us being the next Kellogg's, the next General Mills.
2: Wow. Wow no shortage of growth ahead then. Can
1: I just jump in there now that you've said that and just also ask you about your relationship with those businesses? I mean, its I'm sure you have thought about the fact that one day they might knock at your door and, you know, knowing that they operate very differently to you, um, how do you navigate kind of those tensions of being a next generation food company and and living in, in, and working in an environment where, you know, you are dealing with like big food lobbies, big food giants?
0: It's a really great question. I think we're fortunate to exist in a time when consumers are valuing what we bring to the table and they're valuing the health impact of the ingredients, for example, as quite important in their purchase decision. They are prioritizing eating less sugar. They're also prioritizing the planet impact in their purchasing decisions. And this is something that wasn't as true 10, 20, 30 years ago as it is today. And as a result, it's really paved the road created a path for, for companies like mine, where we can build an alternate model and create a, a profitable, high growth company in this space. Whereas 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this, this could not have existed.
1: Absolutely. And I'm also wondering how your employees... into the equation i imagine that they enjoy the purpose behind the business and thinking about the other missions that you are taking on
0: has the culture been unique in that sense You're spot on, which is that they really care about our mission. It's something that we screen for and look for as we hire people onto our team, because it also influences what products we develop and how we develop them and the decisions we make. And so we like to hire people who understand why we're doing the things that we're doing and care about it themselves. The other side of that too is is really the people and, and cultural aspect of how do you think about the impact you have on your, on your team, which is something I'm grateful that we focused on since almost day one. I met our leadership coach when we had probably three team members. And so she has brought the question of culture to me since a very, very young starting age of the company. And so we've throughout our growth thought about, okay, what impact do these decisions have on our team? How do we help our team balance both the work and their home lives. And how do we, how do we leave them better than we found them? We actually went to a conference out in New York a year and a half ago. It's an HR conference and It's funny, they started the entire conference by talking about regenerative agriculture and translated that then to talking about regenerative HR and this idea that it's not just an extractive model of you, you take, 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 which is historically been our, the way that we've thought about our land. Uh, But I also think it extends to the way that many businesses think about its team and, and the people that work for the business. And so for us, it's, it's been I think probably more a little bit more challenging because we hire people who are high achievers and have a tendency toward toward perfectionism and want to do it all. They like to give a lot of themselves into their work. And it's thinking about how do we support them and also at the same time, make sure that they're not giving too much of themselves to the business. And so as an example of this, we really encourage our team of like, not doing night emails because it stresses people out. And that takes away from people's time with their families. Another big focus area for us has been on the interpersonal skills and developing our team members. We do a number of trainings around Things like encouraging candid conversations, building relationships, and understanding other people, kind of building empathy for people who are who might have a style that is unlike your own, uh, and understanding what different types of people are and what they value. We've also done a lot of teaching people to to give good feedback. Which in a lot of these trainings, a very common remark I hear from people is, "Ooh, and now I'm going to take this home."
2: Of <laughs> all the stuff that you just mentioned, the thing that resonated with me the most. As I remember back in earlier stage of my career, when my first software company was taking off, I went to a conscious capitalism seminar at the Esalen Institute back in the days before it became the current Esalen Institute. And um, one of the speakers there was Bob Chapman. And I don't know if you're familiar with Bob Chapman, but he is the CEO of a company called Barry Waymiller. They make uh, restaurant equipment like you know, dishwashers and fryers and, you know, all that kind of stuff like restaurant and food production equipment. You might even buy equipment from them for all I know. Uh, They're basically a manufacturing company, but he, he got up in front of all of us who were there for this learning about how business can have a positive impact. And the thing that he said was, if you take all the people who work in America and you, if you send them home with enough energy to be good parents, then you know, imagine the follow-on effects with crime or with children getting enough attention, getting people to help them with their homework, having a square meal, having their parents have a relatively civilized evening, and you know, not just being stressed when they get home from work. That that actually would have, and there and there are studies that back this up as well. That you know, children who have parents who come home and have enough energy to be good parents are actually have better results. And so I think that the kind of thing you're talking about, you know, where it's, you can ask everything you want out of your people, but you really are taking a chunk out of society when you do that. And you just have to have to send them home in a way that makes them ready to be present with whomever they they are with at home.
0: I love that. Yeah. and And love conscious capitalism as well. And it was actually one of the things I was thinking about as I was getting ready for for this podcast was this idea of conscious capitalism of we can have a really positive impact with our work and all of these things in society are connected. And so when you extract too much from your team, when you extract too much from the land, it has long-term downstream implications. And More so than ever, I think a lot of businesses have the opportunity to have that as a part of their mission and organization because of how much consumers are appreciating it.
2: And it's bad karma.
0: Bad karma. Don't want the bad karma. (laughs) That's right. So I would
1: love if we could turn to our rapid fire questions to get to know you a little bit more personally, Caitlin.
2: Best part of the show.
1: (laughs) It's fun. So
0: Caitlin, what book is on your nightstand right now? All We Can Save, which just to highlight it for a second, it's a collection of essays from many different women in the climate impact movement, sharing diverse perspectives. Highly recommend it.
2: That sounds good. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free?
0: Black coffee.
2: Simple and effective.
1: Yes, simple and effective. (laughs) Name something that's giving you hope right now.
2: The opportunity to see team members soon. What is one trend you are watching in your industry?
0: Without sounding trite, regenerative agriculture. Do you have a favorite resource for
1: staying up to date on current events for your industry? It could be a podcast or a website or a newsletter.
2: Instagram. What is the best way for you to unwind after a long day of... Making baking mixes (laughs) and the other
1: thing you do.
0: Taking my dog for a walk.
1: And what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20
0: year old self? It's okay to not be perfect. I thought I had to have it all figured out.
2: Yeah, it's funny. You know, they they show the studies that as you get older, people actually get happier. Which you'd think they would get sadder because they're, you know, getting older, but actually they get happier because they just sort of get more comfortable with some of the imperfections of life. And I guess I would say that for myself. I've never been happier than now. And I'm the oldest I've ever been.
0: <laughs> and the and the vulnerability and not being perfect breeds better relationships. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So
1: I would love to start to wrap up our conversation by talking about the future of Simple Mills. You kind of alluded to it in building the next generation of food companies. But what do you think that the next 10 years has in store? And and are there you know, any other initiatives you mentioned working with farmers and having the product contribute back to regenerative agriculture? Are there other projects that you're working on like that that we can look out for and be excited about?
0: We also see a huge amount of opportunity in other categories. So expanding beyond the, the baking mixes, the crackers and the cookies, I think there's many aisles in the grocery store where people are hungry for, for real food and where we can help make it easier and and also taste better to eat real food. So that's one big area that we're looking. And then, like I mentioned, the, the farming space is not just the partnerships with the farmers, but working through some of these complex supply chains that that you see internationally, working to clarify those. And working directly with the communities, for example, that are making coconut sugar, that are making cassava, and helping enrich those communities.
2: What's your take on monk fruit sweetener?
0: I have a love-hate relationship with it. I think that uh, if you want to eat sugar, you should eat sugar. Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I've, I've, and I'm sure we could, we could ask you many specific questions about all kind of you know alternative sugars or unrefined sugars. But monk fruit's always been, it has like a, an off taste to me. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely prefer coconut sugar as well.
0: The tough thing is that when you eat something that tastes sweet, your body kicks off a a sweetener reaction, no matter if it contains sugar or not. And so that's part of the reason why I think about limiting sugar and sweet things intake versus just replacing it with high intensity sweeteners.
1: That's great advice. And I I did want to ask, My last question, which is as a leader who is blazing the trail in her industry, what advice would you give to young leaders or, you know, young founders who are looking to do the same and care as deeply as you do about clean eating and the environment and soil health and your employees?
0: I think they stay hungry for feedback and open to change. I've changed so much since I started this business really because it's what the, what the business needed. And also, also because I learned some of the things I was doing were not effective, whether or not effective for the time or not effective in general and feedback can be really valuable. And so the way that you receive it is really important because it determines how often people give you feedback. Growing a company requires a lot of continuous adaptation. For sure. Well, I think,
1: both of us are really excited to watch you grow your company. I am I'm actually up for the challenge to eat a day's worth of of manufacturing if, if there were to be one. And because I just love your product so much. But Caitlin, it's been incredible to have you as our guest on the show. Thank you so much for sharing more about your business and Simple Mills.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And be careful what you ask for. Who knows, maybe a, a few truckloads will show up. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Hi, before you go, I wanted to let you know that this will be Ed's last episode as my co-host. We both have exciting achievements on the horizon. I will continue with the third season with surprise guest hosts in the fall. I can't wait for you to listen. I want to thank Ed for his collaboration and partnership for the past two seasons. He has brought tremendous insight, fun, and knowledge to the podcast. As always, thank you for listening. I remain here for you for feedback and to answer your questions. You can find me on at Conscious Investor on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening. It means the world.